Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10. Promoting life, liberty and property rights. Michael, all good right, morning. welcome back. Good morning, good morning to both of you. How are you all? Um, it's we've had extraordinary rain up here. Oh, really? Yes, we had rain at the weekend too and, and high wind and so on. So it's no doubt uh, made its way up to your, your end of the country. But without the high wind. Um, right. <laughs> Michael, really what we, what I wanted to talk to you about was the, was the media, particularly in America around the general election and then tied back to an article that you wrote on the weekend, which sort of pours a bit of cold water on some of the hysteria. And that is that one's had the sense since Donald Trump came into power that the, from that period until the, the, the election now, there has been a sort of media, uh, it, it, the media has become frenzied in its, in its, uh, fight to claim that the society, the American society is fractured and becoming irreparable and is going to sink and China will just walk in and take over. I, 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 I summarize. Um, Indeed. <laughs> could I just have your comments on your impressions of the media and then your views on, fr- from your article on what America's really, really like? Mm, mm, indeed. In fact, I, I mean, listening to the, the previous discussion, I thought, you know, there, there's, there is a, 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 a quite a direct connection with, with our, with our uh, general kind of social condition and, and the media space. Um, I suppose it's, it's one of the fascinating things of the, of the, the world in the past 20 years that, that um, it has become, a, you know, a very global conversation that things that happen far away have an immediate impact are known about immediately and um, and and people respond. Um, and I, I actually just wanted to begin by by saying, referring to a book that I'm busy reading by the, the wonderful uh, pianist and conductor Daniel Barenboim. Mm. Um, it's called Everything is Connected. It's written in, published in 2007. Um, and it's mostly about music, but being the remarkably probing and uh, I, I would say promiscuous thinker that he is, it's, it's about uh, much else. And one of the things he talks about is the great advances in technology and communication media. Um, and the, the, the fact that what, what he says, it's, it's led to a general tendency to be satisfied with slogans. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably very true of, um, of, of the media space. I don't know if it's, I don't think it's necessarily a, 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 a creation of the media. I think it probably reflects very much where society is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something which very often the media do, doesn't very successfully counter. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, just, just thinking back before we talk about America, just, just thinking back to, to what Cicli was saying about clicks, um, and, and what you've been saying about the EFF and so on. One of the most striking things that I found, for instance, about the Clicks ad, and it's the most telling example in a way, is that you'd be really hard-pressed, I think, to find any news report that does not refer to it simply as a racist ad. Mm, mm. And as if it didn't, simply didn't occur to anyone at all that all four of the pictures, the two pictures mm. of, of, of black-skinned people and the two pictures of white-skinned people, all four pictures were actually candidates for the hair product. Correct. So the ad was saying, you know, all these pictures show hair that needs our product, it needs attention, it's, it needs to be improved. Um, and that, of course, immediately cast it in an entirely different light. Mm, mm. Um, 
And so I think there is this um, kind of absence of dispassionate reflection on events, and perhaps partly as a result of, of the, the speed with which uh, news kind of pours into the newsroom and goes straight out into the public space, mm. and you have people making very quick decisions and being satisfied with slogans. Mm. Um, and so they're, they're now to come to, to, to America, I think, um, it, the, you know, there is a sense, as you say, of a, of a completely riven society that's tearing itself to part, and, um, you know, it's the, even the terminology, cultural war, and, mm. um, and, and of course, they are, I mean, they're very uh, inflamed opinions, very sharply divergent opinions, <clears throat> Um, but my piece was essentially saying, if we look at America, um, I'm very doubtful indeed that 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 this bruising elect- electoral campaign um, and the 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 vigor and the passion of the of the cultural war or the arguments about everything from gay rights to immigration. Um, really impacts at all on the fundamental proposition of American freedom, the freedom, and it's essentially economic freedom. It, I think it wells from the stake that um, that ordinary Americans have in the economy. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a freedom that acknowledges that if they have talent and skill and they sweat it out and achieve something, that's recognized and, and, and it's kind of protected. It's property rights, it's all the rest of it. Um, and I think to me that's that's the sort of bedrock that um, – that is that is unimpinged on by, you know, the arguments and and, and so on, but yeah. we don't see we don't really see your point. You know, we don't really see that in 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 much of the media. Yeah, in fact, in fact, in fact I think you could um, almost. It's reflect what you're saying is reflected in the fact I think not only it was a very close race and a lot of people came out to vote, which is usually a sign of of, of concern or anxiety or whatever. Um, But also the fact that you you would have had nearly as many people voting um, Republican as voting Democrat, um, and the fact that every minority increased its vote to the Republicans. Um, Not that they didn't obviously go into the majority, but literally it was black men, black women, gays, um, Hispanics, etc., which suggests that the feeling of, I suppose, dislocation that resulted in in Trump's victory uh, over the... Uh, the coastal elite is not is not a racial issue at all. It's not a, a it's not an identity issue at all. It's about it's probably about upping improving the state of the economy and improving the quality of their lives. Yeah, I think I think that that's absolutely correct, and it kind of shatters the the stereotype that that uh, that is common to the slogans that people who hate Trump um, will suggest that it's impossible for a black person or a gay person to vote for him. It simply isn't true. People, black people, gay people, any other person is is perfectly free and and willing to make that choice. And and as as you say, in in the election, we 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 see those figures. So so yeah, I think it's very really true. France um, actually, sorry, yeah, was, no, carry on. I was going to say, France Cronier, uh, our, our mutual boss, uh, wrote a very interesting piece, uh, actually the first reaction from the IRR to the U.S. election, in which he referred to the um, the the damaging impact of of the kind of media coverage we're talking about, which mm. really is a kind of high level of anxiety in, in, in society among people who, who, for instance, like those uh, gay voters or black voters who, who opted for Trump, who would be terrified of saying as much because there would be a, either a perceived or an actual immediate 
punitive response from those who yeah. disagree. Um, so there is this, and, and I think the same would apply, for instance, to the clicks ad issue. Mm. Um, people are very reluctant to sort of step in and say, well, you know, let's just calm down and look at this. You, you tend not to get that because mm. the immediate reaction is, is, is quite a punitive one. People being cancelled or shut down or accused of being racist or right wing. Um, and, um, and then the consequence is a kind of inoffensive journalism in a way yes. uh, and an in, inoffensive conversation, which is, you know, is not helpful and is just not an accurate reflection. Can I suggest, in fact, that there's also the sort of reverse consequence of, of, a, of, a, of a, a very aggressive, um, one-sided journalism? I mean, I'm going to use an example, CNN. I mean, there were occasions when, over, over time, um, in the last four years, where CNN, had the the, the, uh, the announcers and the presenters have worked themselves into a complete froth at the very idea that their positions uh, do not find favour with half of the population. But what really disturbed me <laughs> was the report that Wolf Blitzer, who is an old CNN hand, was skipping around the studio in pleasure at uh, at uh, Joe Biden's election. Now, between that and the tendency for big tech to cancel people who don't who, who don't fit the algorithm, however it's can however it's constructed, um, it suggests. A combination, not only of, of, of it, it's, it's childish, um, it's hysterical, and it's also very, very sort of snooty in, in, in its own kind of way. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's that's certainly very true, and you get the sense that there's there's an approved version or an approved choice or a, uh, an approved sentiment to hold, um, and yeah, and the, you if if you do hold those opinions, you're going to be cheered and approved and so on, um, which yeah. It's, no. it's very unhelpful. In fact, my, I think what my what my observation about the voting patterns perhaps realise is that with all the sound and fury, uh, the media doesn't affect people's uh, common sense reactions to the environment around them. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting observation. Um, yeah. Michael, can I move us on to us, <laughs> on mm, to South mm. Africa? Um, there have been quite a few articles recently on the diminution of the quality of South African journalists. Um, apart from the really sort of uh, deep investigative journalism, the quality of the writing, the quality of the opinion making, the, the fact that I find sometimes I'll read an article, it's, it's purely a journalistic piece, and I'm struggling to find the central fact. Um, that's look. At, I think it makes us write better, but I, it's very, very worrying that one gets the impression that there's definitely been a slide. And I'd like to ask you, from your point of view, having been in the in the business for longer, I think, than you care to mention, um, your impression <laughs> <laughs> after the last thirty years. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, indeed. Um, I mean, my, a, a kind of uh, counterpoint is uh, I, 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 towards the end of my stint in a newsroom, and I was, as you say, I was there for a long time, 38 years altogether. Mm. I'd, I'd often find myself telling young journalists um, to be careful or to, or, or to discount, to be suspicious of the the nostalgia of a journalism that didn't ever exist. Mm. Um, that often tended to be some of the older people would say, you know, in the old days, it was, yeah, this is how it was. Um, and so often with, with, I think it's true of probably any, um, any part of society or social activity that the old days were, were always somewhat, um, glamorized and, um, and of course it overlooks the, overlooks the flaws and so on. I think the, 
and there certainly was from the 80s um, a, an increasing pressure on on the media, and I think it's largely the result of of the the the, the economy of of the industry. It's very very expensive to produce um, to produce media. Um, and of course, it takes years to develop writers, so that means they become increasingly expensive. Um, uh, and and if if uh, if, if um, the, there's pressure on the bottom line, the, the cuts are made, and the means are found to, to 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 find a cheaper way of doing things. And one of the most obvious ones um, was to to juniorize newsrooms. Mm. Uh, and the effect of that was then simply that you were getting people who weren't yet experienced enough. But we were thrust into positions uh, where they were expected to write serious stuff and to mm. weigh up serious things, politics, the courts, the law, and so on. Um, so I think that was the first one, or the first uh, factor. The other, of course, from the 90s, it, it, it clashed or it, or it converged rather with um, with the, the kind of political change and the and the feeling in a lot of newsrooms that they had to be uh, a kind of optical transformation. Um, which I resisted at the time because I thought it was uh, it was demeaning to black people to suggest that um, that, that, uh, that they could that, that all that was wrong was was they 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 being prevented from being in a newsroom when what really was wrong was that for generations they had been denied proper education and so on mm-hmm. um, and that a totally different I thought a totally different approach was needed. Um, and so you had you had a combination of these two things, um, which in many cases led to you know poorer writing. There's again there's a counterpoint here. I knew a number of people who um, who found themselves in that position were brought into the newsroom as youngsters with nominally affirmative action appointments, and who then absolutely took off. Um, and became exceptional, and that's human nature in a way, you know. And, and um, we we do sometimes rise to the to rise to the challenge, and many did. Um, so it is, a, you know, it's a, it's a slightly muddy picture, but um, but yeah, those are those are I think some of the key factors. The other thing to say is that, of course, the other thing is, is I don't believe that there's a universal condition. Um, which is true of the media to say that you know all the media is bad or that the media conspires to punt one line or another. You know, I think there, there are many, many. I, 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 I definitely, I'd agree with that last point because I think sometimes, and I also, I also fall for that trap often. Um, you know, especially when we take cue from other parts of the world where the media is perhaps a lot more partisan, um, is that we then sort of paint them all with that sort of brush, and we forget that actually there's a large contingent of. Uh, very professional uh, people still take journalistic integrity very exactly. seriously. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm just keeping an eye on time, guys. Can we just take a break uh, very quickly? And we'll pick up this conversation after the break. We're in conversation, of course, with Michael Morris from the Institute of Race Relations. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. As mentioned before the break, we're in conversation with Michael Morris as we look at all things media in not only the United States of America, but also back here at home as, uh, you know, there are a few topical issues that are uh, raging away, the U.S., of course, being the election. Um, sorry, you want to pick up the conversation with Michael? Yes, I actually, uh, there are just uh, two things I wanted to ask. Um, the first is what, what, if anything, do you think accounts for this really strong 
culture of investigative journalism that we have, and they will—they are relatively young journalists in the sense that they're a lot younger than us. Um, so they would have grown up, I suppose, in the 90s or the 2000s. Um, what do you think encourages that? Because they generally are extremely readable and extremely reliable. Indeed, indeed. I mean, it's a very encouraging thing. Um, I, I think. Certainly for young journalists, if you ask, you know, a young journalist, serious journalist these days, um, what they, what they would really like to get into, you will almost certainly, uh, get the reply, investigative journalism. Mm. And I, th- this, you know, there's, there's a certain cachet mm. to it. I think it's, it's, it's very appealing. Um, but it's also a very, I think, encouraging sign of the, the, the sense that there's a need to hold the powerful to account. That you've got to dig away and get to the get to the the facts. I was about to say truth, a, a little confession. <laughs> I, I hate the um, the idea that journalism is about truth. I, I tend to think truth is a uh, is is not available to 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 mere mortals. That we have to satisfy ourselves <laughs> with facts, um, and we we let the divinities uh, deal deal with the larger matter of truth. But um, but yeah, to dig away um, <clears throat> and uh, and 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 pick off the the sort of uh, uh, carapace isn't the word. The the, the sort of patina of um, uh, of respectability that the powerful generally cover themselves with or try to mantle themselves with. Um, so so yeah, it is it is interesting. And I think in the if I think back to the seventies, late seventies, eighties when I began, um, the, it's it's almost as if there wasn't necessarily a distinct type of investigative journalism <clears throat> at that point. Mm. I, I don't really recall. You know, it was assumed in a way to be part and parcel of what we did. We sort of dug around and, and so on. But it, it certainly did through the 80s. It, it became a very distinctive type of journalism, which, um, people saw themselves eventually specializing in and, and devoting all their energies to. Um, the other thing that's quite interesting about it is that if you, if you want a, a definition of a costly kind of journalism, that's it. Because mm. often you'll have people who you pay for six months to beaver away <clears throat> without producing anything. And then, you, you know, after six months, they'll have everything in line and, um, and their ducks in a row and, and out will come. So it's, 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 it's a good, um, it's a good sign that somebody is investing in, in this. It's mm-hmm. not, I don't think it's necessarily always the, the mainstream, uh, media organizations or, or, you know, the established organizations and, and that I think is partly a, a factor of cost but uh, it's very encouraging that there are um, as you say young people and you're quite right I think mostly from the 90s and after um, who have given so much uh, devoted so much energy and attention to, to, to this Well I suppose it has something to do with the fact that there is a lot to investigate in this country um, Exactly my last point was really, uh, and I'll turn, I hand over to Sikhle, was really the fact we know that if it bleeds, it leads. And what worries me is that um, the EFF has put down not a single policy that is of benefit to, to mankind in any way whatsoever, but because of the theatrics and the militaristic tones, etc., etc., they get, and I thought this from the, from the word go, I mean from when Julius Malema was still with the ANC Youth League, they get an attention, it's understandable, but it's worrying that they get a level of attention in the media that they, that they really shouldn't be getting or don't deserve. I, I'm quite torn on this one. Um, I in fact remember an argument in, in, um, when would it have been the early 2000s I suppose when Malema was still in the, 
in the youth yes. league. I think yes. it was round about the time that he was talking about, you know, taking up arms to defend defend Zuma. Yes. And, and the younger colleague in the newsroom objected hugely to our. I think we perhaps led the paper on that day with big big picture Malema and you know. AK-47 for Zuma kind of thing. Mm. And he said we shouldn't be giving oxygen to this kind of thing. And, and I think there is that concern that, mm. that, that as, as journalists, we need to think carefully about, you know, whether we're feeding something or exposing it. Um, mm. and I think as a journalist, my, my impulse is always to err on the side of publishing rather than not. But then the question is, um, it's it's it, 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 I mean it is a serious thing in this society. Violence is a problem, intimidation, all these things that we know from the past, and there then has to be coupled with that willingness to run with the story, must be the kind of analysis which pinpoints exactly what it is we're looking at and the risk. I think just my last comment, my last comment in response is what concerned me when they started to do it when he was youth league is you could see they were picking up on the personality of the man because as youth league leader, he had almost, he should have been heard very seldom because he had nothing to say about policy and nothing to say about much useful. They don't. That's the nature of the youth league. Yeah. Yeah. and and yeah. that's yeah. there was and, and the fact that people the, the media wasn't more critical of him media wasn't more critical of him was 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 a bit worrying was, but was a bit worrying but um so, uh, but as you say the, the, as you say the, the, the erring one way or erring the other, or the other. Exactly. Um, exactly. Uh, I don't, I don't well, know if you. Yeah, actually, I want to pick up on that particular point because I think one of the things that we I find particularly interesting and I actually support agree with Michael's view around the need for the media to actually air those views, even the ones that are you know, that might be considered right, rather, you know, quite repugnant in the media, uh, in, the, in the public excuse me, is that it's not the, it's not the journalist or the media's role um, to, to police um, you know, the language or to police, and again I'm not suggesting that you're saying that, sorry, but I'm just making the broader point here, um, you know, that the, the, the repercussions for an insightful language that is used by a politician is for law enforcement to follow up on. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the media's role is to literally just shine a light on the who uh, is making that, that insightful comment. For instance, I would have never wanted a situation where the media never shared um, the images, the the the, um, the rhetoric of, say, the Avia Beer back in, mm-hmm. in, in the sort of uh, early, uh, early 90s into the transition. Why? Because it was, it was the media bringing out those images, bringing out um, his rhetoric that gave us a sense of exactly who these people are and what they stood for and why, uh, of course, if you disagree, as I hope most South Africans did, um, you would find these people repugnant. But, Michael, maybe as I say that, talk to me perhaps then about the sort of debate that can happen in a newsroom, um, because you sort of raised that interesting thing in, in your analogy or in your recalling of a colleague. Um, you know, do those sort of debates happen often? They do. Um, they do. It's, um, it's it's a very very common very, thing. Very common it, thing. It, it, it's actually one of the reasons it's why, the reasons why it's almost impossible for a newsroom to conspire towards one one sentiment or another. There's usually so much disagreement in the newsroom. So there is there is vigorous discussion. Um, it will uh, obviously the, the the buck stops with the editor, but the editors good editors listen to the debates. 
um, and then make a call. Um, but I think the instincts are pretty much as you've described them. It's, it's the idea that the job of the media is not to police the events in society, or at least, you know, their sense of itself. Um, I think what did happen in the late 80s, there was a, a, a kind of a school of thought that came out of America, actually, um, that, which supported the idea of the, the journalism of least harm, uh, which is sound in its intentions, but I think it can be quite hard. We, yeah. We're generally speaking to decide, you know, what's good for society and what's not good. Uh, and I think that's had a bad deal. I must pick up on that because, for instance, there's a big um, hoo-ha right now in the United States regarding, you know, the, the sort of big media houses and really some of uh, the, the massive social media houses now, which have almost become media houses in their own right, of them uh, picking what the listener or the viewer should see. For example, right now, Fox News is under a lot of pressure um, because they, they cut away, uh, one of the hosts of that show, Neil Cavuto, cut away from uh, the uh, press secretary of the, uh, the U.S. president uh, when she was basically starting to speak about the, her, the, the allegations that the incumbent, of course, is making about uh, voter suppression and voter fraud. And the, the Fox News just immediately cut away and said, well, you know, we, we, we don't actually support what she's saying um, because they're not providing evidence. And a lot of people are saying, but well, hang on, the whole point of hearing someone out properly when they speak is that who knows maybe she was going to in that same moment provide the evidence the, the, the danger therefore uh, 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 Michael of, of media deciding things on people do I just maybe give me your, your, your view on that yes exactly I, it, it's, uh, in fact it was one of the things I was going to raise um, I think um, I can't remember I what I day it was, maybe Friday, maybe Friday. Um, I saw a tweet from the editor-in-chief of USA Today, Paul Carroll, and it's a tweet justifying pulling, again, another example, just as you've described, pulling the live stream of Donald Trump's remarks. And her statement is, President Trump, without evidence, claimed the presidential election was corrupt and fraudulent. We stopped the live stream of his remarks early and have removed the video from all of us. Our job is to spread truth, not unfounded conspiracy. Well, I, I find that absolutely unacceptable for exactly the reasons that you are. I think it's for, it's for the audience, the, the readers, the listeners, or the viewers to make that decision. Um, and, and the media should have the confidence to say, this is what was said. Uh, you know, what, if they want to comment on that, but not to, not to actually tamper with the primary, the primary, um, source, the, the actual evidence. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Michael, we, we've run out of time, unfortunately. Um, but just maybe as a final word to you, how do you, how do people reach you and how do they find your writing? Uh, great. Um, it's been wonderful having a, having a chat this morning. Um, I, I write on, on the Daily Friend um, every Sunday, and I also have a full-time column in, in Business Day, uh, and a couple of kinds of topics, uh, and, uh, and pressing the liberal line. Uh, it be great to have the uh, 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 Thanks very much. Thanks very much. Fantastic. That is Michael Morris, of course, who is uh, the head of media at the Institute of Race Relations. A quick break, and then Sarah and I will be back to wrap up the show. <laughs>